Sport. Welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll have a look back at the Champions League action with wins for Arsenal, Man City and Man United, but defeat for Newcastle against Dortmund. Premier League action continues with the big one, the Manchester derby. We'll look, look back at the main results from the midweek EFL and ahead to the weekend fixtures. We go again with the Pyramid Pod Cup after postponement at Rotherham last weekend. Lauro will talk us through Yeovil's continued winning streak and we'll finish with a Pyramid Pod treble. I'm your host, Alex Murphy. And once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Um, boys, just first of all, a bit of an apology uh, from me. So we haven't done Monday's episode uh, and got through to Thursday uh, rather selfishly. Uh, my wife Yasmin went into labour on Sunday and gave birth on Monday. So uh, she wasn't quite keen on me doing podcast that evening so we have skipped one but uh yeah we're back now um start with the champs league so tomo come to you united got the three points that they needed but uh very very lucky in the end yeah um and before i obviously um speak a little bit about that i'd just like to offer mine and lauro's congratulations murphy um to you and your partner um very much and uh, yeah, so on to more important things, United. <laughs> um, another piss poor performance. Um, I actually, I was speaking to my brother about this this morning. Um, he went to the game and uh, we haven't actually played one decent game of football this whole season. Um, it, it is hard to remain positive when that happens, but I, I do appreciate we have, like our injuries are just unbelievable um so that can happen where you just look a bit disjointed etc etc but there's a lot of question marks over the team at the minute the first half was an absolute write-off we were shocking um the second half we got a little bit better um when Ericsson come on the problem Ten Hag has at the minute I think especially in midfield is say for instance if he if he starts Ericsson obviously on the ball we look a little bit better um, off the ball, not so much because Ericsson's a bit of a liability off the ball. Um, but then if he starts Casemiro or if he starts Amrabat or McTominay in those positions, then we sacrifice that on the ball stuff. And I mean, even, even, and, and you, you hope that we look a little bit more assured going backwards, but I don't even know if that works. But yeah, look, at the end of the day, we got the three points. Great. Great goal for Harry Maguire. We we spoke about him getting a stick. We probably give him a bit of stick as well um, in the past. So happy for him. Happy for Onana. He had a good game. He's had his struggles. So, um, and look, it's one of those ones where it's just a three points. I don't. At the end of the day, three after three games in the Champions League, it's it's quite safe to say we're not going to win the Champions League. Yeah. Um, so. You're looking at scraping through in second place, hopefully, if we get a result in Galatasaray and then potentially getting a good draw. And then obviously if you get into the quarters after the last 16, then it's that's probably a successful Champions League campaign for United. But yeah, look, at the end, I'm not gonna moan. It was we what we won the game, um, and that's what needed to happen. And then obviously we look forward to the Manchester Derby on Sunday, which I am shitting myself about, I can't lie. It's at yeah. Old Trafford and I can almost see, I think it was the 11 or 12 year anniversary of the, or maybe even the 10 year anniversary of the um, the 6-1 the other day. And I can see that kind of 
6-1 vibe happening again. I know that's negative, and I know you'll probably have a go at me for that, Laurie, but yeah. We'll, uh, we'll come on to the Manchester derby in a bit, because uh, I've got similar worries. But, Laurie, I think when we spoke about United with yourself before, you've spoken a bit about sort of as fans having positivity, but you've also kind of reflected on Ten Hag's time in charge is not that great. Just, again, from an outsider looking in, is it just a case of, even though United have played badly against Sheffield United and against Copenhagen, is it you've got the victories, you've got injuries, keep positive and, and move on? Well, firstly, I, I don't reflect on Ericsson Hag's tenure so far as not being great. I just don't like him. I don't like the way he comes across and the way he treats his players. I don't want to, <clears throat> you know, start a personal attack on the man, but I just wouldn't want him being manager of the football club. It, overall, the job he's done, I think, is okay. Now, let me ask you this question a, mi- a minute. If you were a Newcastle fan at the moment, would you think there's room for optimism and positivity? Yes or no? Yes. Black and white answer, yes. Yeah, excuse the pun. Okay, well, Man United are one point behind Newcastle in the league and they've got one point less than Newcastle in the Champions League. Newcastle having a great season. Final Cylinders giving their fans great nights in Champions League and also putting teams to bed in the Premier League as well. So Newcastle, lots of room for optimism and positivity. Man United haven't had a good performance all season, but there's still one point between those two teams. Now, you then look at the goal difference, which is the big differential here. Newcastle is plus 15 and Man United is minus two in the Premier League. And yeah. there in which lies the problem, I think. And this is all going to culminate in me suggesting Man United bring Sir Alex Ferguson back to manage the club. Because I just don't think... Former players that are pundits, people in the media that used to play for Man United, all the fans that have grown up supporting Man United because of the great glory years of the 90s and the early 2000s are going to be happy until you get back to exactly what you had before under Fergie. And I don't think any other manager is capable of doing it. So why not just bring Sir Alex back, let him play exactly how he played back in 2013 and see how that goes? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's an interesting suggestion whether Sir Alex, who I think is now 110, I think, uh, would be willing to come back or not is a uh, is a different question. But Laura, I think you're bang on about the goals. I would just say, obviously, I watched, sat and watched the game, and I don't, I was thinking to myself, United. I think we said it on the pod before. I don't think United have been two goals up in a game all season. I don't think there's been a point where we've had more than a one goal lead, but. We had chances. We had Rashford kind of run through, heavy touch runs through to the keeper. Garnacho did the same. Uh, we broke and Garnacho had a shot and then McTominay missed the follow-up. Um, Hoyland had a couple sort of half chances. There was a couple of penalty shouts and that sort of thing. But it it's never a new thing with United that we're not putting the ball in the back of the net. And it's like, well, we've got Rashford who scored 30 last year. We've got Garnacho who's um, signed a new deal and looks an amazing prospect. We've signed a striker in Hoyland who's meant to be a, an actual number nine who can play. We signed Ante, Anthony, who's a £90 million winger. We've got Bruno Fernandes, who, you know, De Bruyne says he's the best 10 in the league, maybe other than himself, from as, and he's a creative machine. And you see what he does for Portugal. So I just can't understand why, why the ball is never in the back of the net for United. I just don't, I don't get that. I don't have an answer to that either. But no, no but listen, I, the, what I compare it to would be, so we brought in Hoyland this year, 20-year-old, um, up-and-comer, definitely looks like a superstar for the future. Um, 
in a, in a similar vein, Man City last season brought in Julian Alvarez, an up and comer, superstar for the future, um, youngster, probably not ready to to sort of lead the line straight away. The difference being is in the same season, City go and buy Haaland and United don't go and buy Kane. And yeah, and Alvarez probably took last season. He was in and out of the team a bit. He was still class and showing bits and pieces. And then this season, he's looked unbelievable as well. And Haaland, obviously, we don't need to speak about Haaland. And it's just, the thing is, when United sign these attacking players, us fans, we, we kind of go, well, that, that they're, they're the be-all and end-all. They're going to solve all our issues. And it just doesn't quite work out like that. And it just, look, at the end of the day, we're not a functioning team at the minute. We are scraping by getting a couple of results. We At the end of the day, we've won three in a row, albeit... Like like I said, just scraping through. Um, but it, and yeah. I don't think it will it, like the the sort of the flow of football and the confidence levels and how we play will improve that much until we get everyone back fit and sort of a settled starting eleven. So that will take some time. Um, but I don't want to bang on about United to be honest too much. It feel no, we we will move on, but it feels to me a little bit like Ten Hag started to get a little bit desperate for results as well. I think he had this kind of clear ethos and way of play that he wanted to to implement, and he had players who he wasn't having. So let me give you two names straight away: McTominay and Maguire. And it feels now like he's almost searching for wins in any way, regardless of implementing a style of play. So it's like McTominay's been in the squad because he scored that brace off the bench. He started both games. Maguire, who I know we've got injuries at the back, but Maguire, who let's be let's be real, Ten Hag saying that he's a great player and part of the squad, but he stripped him of camp- captaincy and not playing him. That's a that's a call to me that he wants him to leave the club. They're both starting now for United. You got Mason Mount, who we've signed for sixty mil, sat on the bench unused in the Champs League, and I think had five minutes against Sheffield United. So I, I think desperation started to kick in for Ten Hag a bit about how can I just put the most impactful team out to get a result rather than implement a style of play that he wants to long term so um yeah look we'll move on and we'll, we'll touch on the Manchester derby but I, I think it's really worrying for Ten Hag uh, at the minute uh Laura you just touched on another side to similar season so far to United albeit uh atmosphere around the club being a bit different but uh Newcastle lost versus Dortmund I think that puts him third in their group on four points um, but Isaac went off injured, as did Jacob Murphy. So a couple of little problems creeping in for Newcastle. Yeah, but they've got a good squad, Newcastle. They they can if Isaac's injured, hopefully they can just bring in Callum Wilson and get him on a run of form. And I think I've touched on this before. I think if you look all over the pitch in every position for Newcastle, maybe other than centre half, which is probably killed off a little bit more with injuries, they're pretty strong. So I don't think they'll be too worried about that. I think that's an annoying loss, though at home to Dortmund, off the back of that massive PSG win. They've been so good at home, very, very difficult to beat. And just to let it sort of fizzle out into what I didn't watch the game because I was watching um, Leeds, but to let it fizzle out into a 1-0 loss and now they've got to go to PSG and go to Dortmund in the next two games, all of a sudden they've gone from, if they'd won last night, probably all but through, to now needing to get a result away from home. And, you know, judging by the AC Milan trip that they had to the San Siro at the beginning of the Champions League, they, they're not going to find that quite as easy without that sort of atmosphere pushing them on at St. James's Park. So that was a difficult one for them. But up, just to touch on Newcastle in the league, they've gone and trounced Palace 4-0 at the weekend. I think they're starting to look inevitable 
um, in the Premier League. Every single player just looks at it for Newcastle at the moment in the league. And I think they know because of that squad depth that they can't have a bad game. If Wilson doesn't score, it could be Isaac. If Gordon doesn't do well, they've got um, Murphy or Barnes around one or whoever's going to come in. So that's that squad uh, competition is very, very good at Newcastle. Their performance levels, are, I think, are very high. And they're just sort of, they'd had a bit of an indifferent start, didn't they? But they're sixth now. And I think they're flying in the Premier League. Just just annoying, I would say, as a Newcastle fan. You can't have it all. And they're not, probably not going to win the Champions League this season. But if they could have just beaten Dortmund and reversed that result 1-0 last night, um, you know, things would be very, very rosy for them. But then again, maybe they'll go to Germany or go to France and, and get a result up there as well. So I'd be extremely happy if I was a Newcastle fan at the moment. I think it just feels like good vibes all round. Yeah, look, if there's there one negative to come out of a 4-1 win against PSG, it is that it sort of raised everyone's expectations and elevated everyone's expectations to probably a level that Newcastle weren't at. And like we, we, we were all talking about that group of death. Dortmund, Milan, PSG, Newcastle. At the end of the day, Dortmund are a good team. And then two, and I think sort of Rafa Honenstein in one of his podcasts said that Dortmund um, in the whole of 2023 are like the, the best performing team points to game ratio in the in, in the whole of the like Europe. So they're a really good team. And they went to Newcastle and shut up shop almost said to Newcastle, come on then, break us down. Whereas, obviously, we talked about the PSG PSG game. They played four forwards and open and expansive football. And that's just that just plays into Newcastle's hands. And Eddie Howe, or Newcastle under Eddie Howe, has been... Obviously, he's done a really good job, but they've been almost sort of sit back, counter-attack, blood and thunder, and like beat, beat teams down like that. Whereas Dortmund worked them out in the first half. And actually, if you if you watch the second half, Newcastle did really well. They just couldn't... They had a couple of good chances, couldn't finish the dinner. On another night, they would have got the draw, which would have been the great result, or would, could have even turned it round, which have obviously been an even better result. I wouldn't worry too much about Newcastle losing that game, to be honest. The, like you say, the, the issues arise from maybe if Isak's out for three or four weeks now, then they've got to rely heavily on Wilson... Um, Murphy's looked rejuvenated. Like I was talking um, to a Newcastle fan this morning. The most impressive thing about Eddie Howe and Newcastle is how well you like you, you likes of Jacob Murphy have turned round, and all of a sudden they're looking like proper Premier League stars, as opposed to before. We're under Bruce. Jacob Murphy looked like a lower prem Championship player, and so. I wouldn't worry too much. They're playing Wolves this weekend. Be a tough game. <clears throat> we all know, Gar like Gary O'Neill spoke a little bit about his appearance on Monday Night Football. He looked, he was very impressive, wasn't he? And so that won't be an easy game. It's at the it's at Molyneux. So, um, but yeah, Newcastle. I wouldn't worry too much about a one nil defeat to Dortmund. Dortmund, a very good team. Yeah, I, I didn't realize Dortmund were doing as well. I, had, for some reason, I had the perception that Dortmund weren't the side of old, but I think they're two points off top in the Bundesliga, one point behind Bayern Munich yeah. um, in fourth place. And I know their Champs League campaign and maybe I've got, got off to a great start, but um, I think Ali McCoyce was on commentary last night, um, if I remember rightly, and he was saying about 
Dortmund managed to quiet the Newcastle crowd. And I, I know everyone keeps saying that now. It gets turns into a bit of a cauldron at St. James's Park, but they managed to seem to get the crowd down, didn't they? It wasn't like tackles getting cheered and, you know, them the the sort of Newcastle fans whipped up into a frenzy. They they managed managed that game really well. So they I was impressed with them. Um just move on to a couple of other uh, Champs League games, guys. So Arsenal won in Seville. Martinelli and Jesus uh, scored for them. Impressive result, that, Tomo. I don't think many English sides go and win in Spain and, and particularly Seville. I mean, definitely not United, but great win that for Arsenal. Yeah, great win. And, and I I must confess, I obviously didn't watch that game, but I watched the highlights and Gabriel J- Jesus looked like that was his best game in an Arsenal shirt. And unfortunately for them, he come off injured. I think he had a tight hamstring. So it'd be interesting to see if he plays this weekend or not. But because he's obviously just come into a bit of form, his turn for the first goal and pass was unbelievable. And then his goal was sort of cuts. He's in from the left and he cuts inside and curls one top bins. It's just, if anyone hasn't seen it, go and watch it. It's unbelievable. Um, And a great result for them. Probably their toughest um, fixture in the group, Sevilla away. But let's be honest, Sevilla probably lost that game on purpose because they want their end goal was to finish third in the group and then win the Europa League, isn't it? So, um, yeah, yeah, not not really much else to say to be honest. Just a great result for Arsenal. Raya didn't cover himself in glory again, and that's one to look for in the future. But. I expect him to keep his place and I don't expect Ramsdale to come in anytime soon um, unless obviously he throws in a couple of howlers on the weekend. Yeah, good good win for Arsenal there. Um, and then just City, uh, unsurprisingly, uh, won in Switzerland against young boys. Uh, Haaland scored a brace. Rodri was man of the match uh, and Akanji scored for them. Um, but he just, is going to be suspended a, for Manchester just a quick one on, on um, Haaland. So he got a couple goals, didn't he, last night? And it, he's actually, it was in a bit of a drought in the Champions League. He hadn't scored since the quarterfinal last season. Um, so I don't know how many games that is, five or six. Um, but I had a look at his Champions League stats. He scored, so even though he's gone six or seven games without scoring in the Champions League, he's now scored 37 goals in 33 games in the Champions League. Okay, honestly. <laughs> And he got like more goals than like R nine already in the Champs League. Who's like people say he's the greatest ever striker. I'm pretty sure it's R nine. If not, it's a really big player. But he's just a, a freak, isn't he? You know, for someone who's still got another, if he stays in European leagues, you know, another ten, fifteen years at it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm yeah but you, you say that Haaland hadn't scored since the quarterfinal last year. Um, what you failed to mention is in that quarterfinal, he scored five against RB Leipzig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that makes up for the goal to game ratio and more. Yeah, true. And then just um, a look ahead to English sides uh, tonight in the other European uh, competitions. Liverpool have got Toulouse, Villa versus AZ Alkmaar, Brighton versus Ajax, um, which looked a tasty fixture, but I've seen that Ajax are actually in the relegation zones of the... Uh, Eredivisie, which is mad, uh, and West Ham versus Olympiacos. So, um, yeah, some big games for for those guys there, and hopefully they'll be hopeful that doesn't affect their Premier League form at the weekend. So we'll move on to the Prem. Uh, Tommy, you've touched on the uh, Manchester derby there. Um, obviously, spoke a bit about United's form already and and City, but um, any positives 
for United ahead of that fixture other than Akanji being suspended? Any good stats for us? No good stats, mate. No, this is probably the least confident I've ever gone into a into a game at Old Trafford. And actually, I know we won the game last year, but it was mainly due to that horrendous Rashford offside, Bruno Fernandes incident, if you remember rightly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just can't see anything other than a comfortable City win. Um, just almost like an, an arm's length win where they where they just beat us two or three nil and it's almost like they're bringing off Rodri and Haaland and Alvarez on the 60th minute because they're resting them for the week or whatever it might be. Um, I've got no positives. To, I'll just, yeah, no positives to think about that fixture. Just sort of almost watching it from behind the back of the city. Um, yeah, no no positive I, stats. I'm sorry, mate. Laura? I'd, well, here's, here's a couple of positive stats. Kevin De Bruyne won't be playing and they no longer have Gundogan. And I I disagree with a lot of the stuff that you said there. I know like City are a good side and it's a difficult game, but you've had your fair share of success against them, I think, over the last sort of five or six years, even though that you've been pretty crap and they've been brilliant. And I still, I'm still not convinced and I don't know what it's going to take to convince me on City, but I'm not, I mean, Tottenham are top of the league. You know, Arsenal and City are level pegging. They're not blowing everyone out the water. We just have a perception of them because they won the treble last year. And I know it's going to be difficult for them to live up to last year's uh, performance levels with that kind of consistency. But I don't think they're the same side. And I do think they are going to be there to be got at a little bit more this season. And going to Old Trafford ain't easy. I know as a Man United fan, you sat there every week thinking, here we go again. But more often than not, you do come out with good results and you're not in that bad a form at the moment and you've got some good positives i.e. Harry Maguire's turned a bit of a corner Onana's on top of the world after his penalty save two people that were walking memes two weeks ago and now uh, Manchester sort of national treasures so you're going in with a little bit of credit in the bank I think and I think you can go and have a real good go at them and, so, and like Rashford's come alive in this fixture before like if I was a United fan I'd be thinking right bang up for this City have won, what, two of the last five, lost three, something like that in all competitions, which for them is absolutely appalling. So still a little bit of pressure on City to hit the top again. Spurs could go clear on Friday night at the top of the league. I know it's still early stages, but City ain't going to want to be chasing gap, um, um, point gaps again like they were last season, the season before, too many times in a row, because at some point it won't happen. So pressure still on City, not the side they were last season. Man United at home. Little bit of pressure off for United. Pressure on for City. No De Bruyne, no Gundogan. I'm talking myself into a another huge prediction here. I'm not going to say it, but more room for optimism in that game than you're giving your team credit for, in my opinion. But... Yeah, yeah. The, the only thing is, right, is you, you are right in the sense that City don't look their free-flowing best this year, but they still are right up there and are still winning more... More than not, obviously, barring the three games that, that Rodri didn't play. Um, and at the end of the day, at some point, City will click. And quite often, they click against United. And we get an absolute yeah. paste in. So, it'd be... Maybe because I'm quite... I'm a little bit more emotionally invested. I'm just sort of a little bit more hesitant to be positive. You're... you're... You're setting yourself up to fail. So when it, if it happens, you can be like, I called it. You don't want to be like, oh, we're going to win 2-0 and we'll play well and then, you know, be absolutely gutted. So I get what you're doing, um, Tomo. But 
uh, I've not got much confidence either, to be honest. I think United have looked terrible in every single game they've played, and it's not it's not so much the other than the the I think Palace in the Cup we looked decent in that, but um, we we just don't look good in any game, and I don't know if he knows what side to play at the minute either. I guess Casemiro um, is still injured. We've got Martinez out. We've got Wan Bissaka out. We've got Shaw out. Who do we be playing? Um, we're obviously got Regulon who's coming back into fitness a bit. We've got Maguire who's now starting. Varane looking a little bit injured. Um, he's trying to find out what midfield works at the minute with what he's got with Amrabat, uh, Mason Mount, Scott McTominay, Christian Eriksen, and then he seems to play Bruno in the 10. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I don't think United are settled at the minute. I don't think they look good in any game. Um, I don't think we lost at Old Trafford last year, or if we did, it was, it was once maybe, maybe the first game of the season or something like that. But um, we it's not been that great this year, has it? We've lost to Palace in the league. We've lost to Brighton in the league um, at home. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go City quite comfortable win. Obviously, we'd love Man United to win that game, but I don't have much confidence there um, at all. And I really didn't like Haaland scoring a brace in the week either. I think he'll be up for the derby. It was just quickly, maybe a, you know, a rare stat input from me and maybe one that you wouldn't think. Five teams in the Premier League have scored more goals than Man City this season. So they're not blowing teams away, even when they're winning. But the one stat that does stick out, and you don't... I mean, they've come in for quite a lot of praise on this recently, but with City, you think about them going out and smashing teams with their brilliant attack. No one has conceded less than Man City. They've conceded seven Premier League goals this year. And you forget that. It's not just keeping them out. It's actually trying to affect the game at the other end of the pitch. And probably United being a little bit too for this this year you are going to need big games from your Rashford, your Brunos and your Hoylands if there is going to be any chance of it. But I don't mind the draw at 3-1. to one. I've just checked the odds. I wouldn't surprise me if it was like 0-0-1 all this game. And I don't think 3-1 to is too bad for that. You can get United at nearly fives. But um, I probably would steer clear of that. But I, I wouldn't put it past United getting a point here. And again, I say this every week, I'd love it for the, the sake of the title race. The only, the only stat I've got on that, Loro, on the draw... Um, for anyone listening who wants to bet on that, is that out of the last 16 fixtures, there's only been one um, draw in the Manchester derby. It does seem lately, especially in recent history, that one team or the other gets the result. So, have you got have you got breakdown of the the other 15, Tomo? What it is between City United? Because I know we normally like when we do lose, we tend to get smashed, but we've had some decent wins against City, haven't we? Let me just count. Because if you yeah, think so, about... City City have won eight, yeah. United have won six, and then one's drawn. So actually, like yeah, so it is yeah, we've got yeah. a good yeah, we've got a good sort of um, we've got a good. Yeah, record that's even, that's even, isn't it? Man City have won what five out of the last six leagues, and you're pretty much 50-50 with them head to head. So I mean, you, we haven't even spoke about the fact that it's a proper derby. Do you know what I mean? Form normally goes out the window. Whether you, wherever you are in the league, normally it's a really difficult game. Everton made it difficult for large periods against Liverpool last week. So yeah, Weymouth made it difficult for Yeovil as well on Tuesday night in the second half. So look, it's a one-off game, albeit it happens twice a year. And I think <laughs> United have got every chance. Yeah, I'm starting to talk myself round now. We had that win last year, albeit VAR. I think, was it the year before where Edison might have been a bit longer, actually, rolled it out to McTominay, who just passed it into the net to make it 2-0 and slid into the Stretford end. So, yeah, all right, 3-0 United. Was that, uh, not, that was March, <laughs> yeah, that was March 2020, Murph. 
was it that long ago? That was just quick, what I'm trying to say is what I'm trying to say is like it's not. There's been seasons recently where you've gone into that game and I thought you have got no chance. But just in the context of where we are at the moment, both clubs' recent form, who will and won't be playing, I just think you've got a better chance than maybe you're giving yourself credit for. I'd still have City as favourites, obviously, but I'd be back in the draw. Okay. Right, we'll move on from from that one, boys. And obviously that's at 3.30 on Sunday, that game. But we'll come forward a bit to Friday night football and... Uh, Lauro, Tottenham host Palace. Um, I didn't get to watch Monday Night Football, unfortunately. I was still in hospital, but I did have Son, um, Udogi and Madison in my team and, and managed to catch the uh, scoreline and see that they'd, they'd got another victory and, and Madison and Son had started again. But just they keep on churning out the results and they'll be looking to win against Palace at home as well. Yeah, I, I don't know really what more we can say about Spurs at the moment. Um, at some point, there's going to have to come a point where we start speaking about their credentials in the title race, but it isn't yet, is it? And it probably isn't this side of Christmas. But I'm just waiting for them to slip up. I was, we didn't do it last week, but I was going to say, like that Fulham game looked tricky because it's one that you just, you, if you want to be right up there, you can't, you can't just, you can't beat Man United and beat, um, draw to Arsenal, win the big games, but then drop points like Spurs have done in the past against. In inverted commas, easier opposition, but they just were way better than Fulham, weren't they? And Sonny seems to be um, taking the the team by storm this season in Kane's absence. And actually, they're making a couple of those ridiculous talk sport callers in over the last few years that call in and say, I think we're better without Kane. And everyone just ridicules them. Well, they're actually making that look a pretty good point in the minute. And Madison looks signing of the season. I think Postacoglu tactically the most obvious thing in the world, but reverting to a back four and playing um, that kind of system has just worked wonders. They've got a settled kind of team with the same 11 to 14, 11 to 15 players pretty much play every week. And, you know, you don't really see a lot stopping them at the moment. And they're going to Crystal Palace, which is normally a tricky place to go, but they're coming off the back of a 4-0 thumping. You know, I'm not sure... I'm not sure I can make a case for them dropping any points anytime soon. I don't know when they've got City. That'll be a big test for them. I was thinking, have Tottenham just had a really easy start to the season? But they've played Man United. They've played Arsenal. Do you know what I mean? They've played Liverpool, um, albeit on the right end of that VAR decision. So it's not been a touch. It's not been an easy touch for them so far. They're just playing very good football. They haven't lost a football match. And the Ange Postacoglu train rolls on. And I was watching his pre-match interview earlier on today, or um, pre-weekend fixture interview. And again, very, very impressive. Calm, measured, balanced with his words, not get carried away. But knowing that he's just starting to begin something quite special at that football club. And something that they probably haven't experienced before, ever. Yeah, I absolutely love him. Do you know what? He he got asked that question after the Fulham game, didn't he? He, um, Someone said... Like, can you win the Premier League? Like, and rather than going, oh, don't be stupid, we'll take it one game by game, like just his standard manager answer, he said, well, unless there's any rules to say that Tottenham can't win the Premier League, I think we can. And I just thought, yeah, do you know what? That's a great answer. <laughs> he just he just comes up with all these one-liners that, is, that are fantastic. And the big thing I think that's in Spurs' favour this year um, is that they're not in any European football. So a- actually they've got, their next game after the um, after the Palace game on Friday is ten days time against Chelsea. I think it's against Chelsea, and yeah. um, 
And so, and and you talk about well, Spurs potentially could they ride out um, a couple of injuries to important players because their squad might not be at the level of your cities and your arsenals, etc. But the fact that they haven't got as many games, and obviously they got knocked out of the Carabao Cup early, um, gives the players adequate rest between games. Means that they won't be sort of overexerted and in that red zone where potentially you get injuries, etc. So your Madisons of this world could potentially, or there's more chances of the players staying fit throughout the whole season. And I'd love it. I would like, obviously if United don't win the league, which we're not going to, but I would absolutely love it if Spurs won the league. And I think it would be funny because Harry Kane's left. Um, And they're just a really likable team. And it's also one of the first summers in a long time for Tottenham where They've basically bought in four players. Um, I know they bought Adogi in January, but he joined really this year. So they bought Adogi, Van der Ven, um, the keeper, and Madison. And they've all just slotted into the starting eleven and all done really well. And if you compare that to say, I know I'm gonna like Man United, you go and sign Hoyland, Mount, Onana, um, Amrabat, and it's like Mount's not getting a look in, Onana's look terrible, Amrabat his fitness issues and Hoyland's okay. He's probably the only positive. So it's like, that's it. It's not really rocket science, is it? You buy players, you improve your first team and, and create an environment for them to succeed and they will, they will deliver. And it, do you know what? And, and I know I'm banging on it, but it actually reminds me, Laura, I know we did the, the Stuart Broad podcast with Simon Jordan today. It reminds me, Ange Postacoglu of Basball and how you just completely come in and change the the philosophy and the mindset of the whole club and say, well, we're not afraid to lose anymore or we're going to be positive in every aspect of what we do. And yeah. everyone's got on board with it. And um, yeah, I think they'll go to Palace and win. I, I also think there's a lot of in football now. And I, I, I enjoyed the Gary O'Neill thing on Monday Night Football. And I enjoyed Thomas Frank and all of that. They come across where you learn stuff as you know, novices in terms of football tactics. But there's a lot of over-coaching that goes on now. It All throughout the leagues, in the Premier League, down to League Two Conference, everyone, you know, whether it's playing out from the back, whether it's low blocks, high blocks, presses, this, that and the other. And gone are the days, or not gone are the days, but a lot rarer now that you see a proper man-manager motivator, like a Harry Redknapp or whatever. And Ange Postacoglu is one of those, but is also tactically equipped to lead a team like Tottenham with good players and and field a team and get them going. So he seems to have a good balance of all the things you need as a manager. But as we've always said, like you just listen to him and you think I, I would if if he was my manager in any walk of life, I'd go with him and I'd follow him. And that's good leadership and that's showing on the pitch at the moment. Do agree that not having European football is a big help. To be fair, Te- teams often do well, don't they, when they're they've got a good side that is able to compete in the Premier League and they don't have the distraction of, of football and they can play games maybe more often on the Saturday rather than the Sunday and all those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, th- few things in their favour, but I think we've got a little while longer to go until we can call them, not call them title challenges, they have to be title challenges at the moment, but to say that they're in a title race because that doesn't begin to after Christmas. But if they're up there in January, maybe that's a window where they can attract a different kind of player or have different kind of conversations with personnel that maybe they wouldn't have done in previous years due to Spurs being Spurs and being sixth or seventh or whatever. So, yeah, all good all good signs for Spurs at the moment and hopefully they can go win tomorrow night. 
another good yeah. sign, just quickly before we move on. Go on. Their best midfielder from the last couple of seasons, Rodrigo Bentoncourt, is back to fitness now. And mm. and I've been really impressed with him in a piss-poor Tottenham team. And he obviously got injured. Um, and now I'm really looking forward to watching him play alongside Basuma and Madison. Um, yeah or whichever sort of functionality of their midfield they choose. But in Ange ball, I think he's going to really thrive. So that that's another plus for them and obviously gives them options in that midfield area as well. Um, just great times for Spurs, isn't it? Having that sort of uh, calibre of player come back in. Um, just a couple bits for fitness-wise for them for the weekend. Um, Saar is currently um, struggling with illness and uh, Udogi came off um on Monday with a muscular injury just before the 60th minute actually which meant that he didn't get clean sheet on FPL but um have to monitor that but yeah think they'll think they'll go and win at Palace apologies I think I said Spurs were home earlier but um think they'll go and win at Palace who've only won one in their last five Premier League games which was at Old Trafford um so yeah good times for Spurs uh, another team up there in North London Arsenal they host Sheffield United just touched on the fact that they um, obviously one in the week in Seville but Sheffield United home surely is the fixture at the minute that teams look at as the biggest banker that's got to be a fair few goals Lauro for Arsenal this weekend Yes, yeah, it feels like a gimme doesn't it um, I just I watch Sheffield United and I actually think that like, they're an alright side but they're just a championship side playing in the Premier League and it's hard to watch like a good manager that's done good things in Paul Heckenbottom over the last year to 18 months at Sheffield United, just, you know, slide into getting the sack. And I'm actually surprised he's still there, not because I don't think he should be, but because the rumours have been circulating for probably four or five weeks now. Um, and we've just had an international break. So, I mean, good to see him still there, but just they've got no luck, have they? It's Arsenal away and they're just in, imperious, aren't they? Very, very good at scoring goals. And I think Sheffield United are probably going to have to score six to win, which I don't think... Ollie McBurney and um, Archer. Jordan Archer. Is it Jordan or Cameron Archer? Cameron, Cameron Archer having them. So, look, tricky fixture for Sheffield United. But what I'll tell you what would annoy me is if they sack Heckenbottom after this game. Because it's not like it, it's not like they've got a chance of winning that game, really. Do you know what I mean? So either sack him now or give him another run of Premier League fixtures where they might be in them. But to be fair, what if we had... 12, 13 games now and they've got one point, it's not a great return, is it? And even Luton and Burnley, who are having, Burnley particularly, having shocking start to the season, have at least got a win under their belt. So, bad start for Sheffield United. Going to get worse this weekend, but hopefully Heckenbottom, just giving a little bit more time after that to see if we can drag them out of it. But, yeah, they're the worst side in the league, aren't they, along with Luton? They're... After the Arsenal game, they're home to Wolves, away at Brighton, home to Bournemouth, away at Burnley. So, as you say, Laurie, the Arsenal res- Arsenal game aside, it kind of feels like, well, that was going to be a-, a free hit anyway. If you don't win that, that's nothing too shocking. But I think if he doesn't go and win at home to Wolves, they'll then be like, right, we need to get someone in ready for that run of fixtures, including Bournemouth and Burnley, um, to try and get points there. Otherwise, they're, they're all but down then anyway. Um, Tomo, just very quickly, obviously touched on Jesus looking uh, great, and I, I doubt you give Sheffield United much hope. But from an FPL point of view, any anyone from Arsenal in your side? No, 
And it'd be one of those ones where I'm like, I just haven't got enough transfers to get people in and stuff. And I'll just, yeah, it's one of those ones where I'll basically be watching that with my FPL hat on thinking, like Arsenal win three nil, but Zinchenko gets all three or something. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, yeah, look, Arsenal, they haven't actually been at their free flowing best this year, have they? But they've they're really good defensively. They've kept the most clean sheets in the Premier League. They're at home. Um, Sheffield United, like Laurie was saying, don't look great going forward. So I expect Arsenal to win um, to nil, and I think it will probably be three or four. Um, but not much to add, to be honest, mate. No, no. And just looking ahead to Arsenal um, and looking past the Sheffield United game, they've got West Ham away in the EFL Cup, which will always be a bit of a tricky fixture. But they then, in the Prem next Saturday at 5.30, go away to Newcastle, which will be a huge game. If they go and get three points there, um, after obviously beating City, beating United, came back to get a, in the end, positive point against Chelsea... That'll be a huge statement from uh, from Arsenal, that one. But yeah, expecting um, a bit of a cricket score, 3pm uh, Saturday that is as well. So yeah, expecting a bit of a cricket score for Arsenal there. Um, just touched on Arsenal played uh, Chelsea uh, last weekend and and Chelsea, I think, were 2-0 up, weren't they? And let it slip for Arsenal to come back to two-hall. Uh, Saturday lunchtime, they host Brentford and Chelsea seems to be finding a little bit of form now. Loro, do you think that um, maybe Pochettino's style of play and influence is starting to rub off and they might start to become a bit of a force again? Um, no. Just because I think they've been okay for 80 to 85% of the pitch all season. And we spoke about... I know Nick, I know they started Cole Palmer at the weekend um, and he scored a penalty, but it, look at their goals at the weekend. One was a penalty and one was a fluke from Mudrich. They're still not carving teams open and scoring goals at will. Okay, they did against Burnley. and There are going to be teams that they're just too strong for. But I think that's a difficult game against Brentford. I just think Chelsea quite often over the last 18 months have been sort of two steps forward, three steps back. And if they can beat Brentford and beat them convincingly and start to put a run of form together um, this side of the international break as well, that would be good because, I mean... the. At this stage of the season, the table's still close. And I was looking earlier, I talk about United being a point behind Newcastle. Chelsea are only a couple of points behind as well. So a couple of wins and they can springboard themselves into it. But I'm not convinced that they've got the top end of the pitch right with Cole Palmer, Nicholas Jackson, um, you know, Mudric. Sterling is their best outlet, um, but obviously not a, not a striker. So, no, I'm not confident in Chelsea in most games at the moment. And I, I know you boys feel slightly differently about Brentford, but I actually rate them. And they're coming off the back of a good win against Burnley last weekend. So that's quite an interesting fixture for me. But I wouldn't be surprised if that that's a loss for Chelsea and Brentford go there and nick a 2-1 or something because they can't finish their dinner often enough, in my opinion. Is that is that a derby? Is with that Chelsea-Brentford? Are they both West London? Yeah. Do you know what? I'm just having a look at the... Um... The odds for Brentford to win, and it's seventeen to four on Skybet, and I I fancy that. Um, Brentford have won. Both... Sorry, say that again. Seventeen, 17 to, four. to four, four to one. Brentford are over four to one. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and that, I think that is incredible, incredible odds. And I think I said this about. I know they're not Villa, but Villa a while ago when they when they went to Stamford Bridge, it'll be a very similar game to that. I think. And Brentford quite often do score goals as well. So, 
Carry on, Tigal. I cannot believe those odds. Well, and listen, a couple of um, stats to back up um, that for our listeners. So Brentford have won both of their Premier League games at Stamford Bridge. Um, so they've got a good record there. And Chelsea, since the start of February, have only won two home games in the Premier League. And do you know what? Who were they against? Since one. what this year? Yeah, in in since Leeds. February. Yeah, so one Leeds. was against Leeds, who obviously been relegated, and the other was against Luton in August. So, yeah. and I know they look good. They looked half decent against Arsenal, but to be honest, Arsenal were turgid, and they managed to get a draw out of nothing. Um, I fancy Brentford, and I am, I, I'm not very good at betting. So maybe I wouldn't put any money on, but but I, but yeah, I fancy Brentford there definitely. I, I think I'd say I think that's lunchtime on Saturday. Bit of an intriguing game that one actually. Um, looking forward to that one. Um, yeah, well, that that'll be a cracker. Another game which I think looks really interesting, boys in the Prem, uh, Wolves versus Newcastle. We've touched on Newcastle at length throughout the the history of the pod and we touched on Gary O'Neill um, earlier and I think people were impressed with him on Monday Night Football. Wolves, I mean, they started the season well, didn't they? Thinking all the way back to their performance at Old Trafford. Um, their league forms just started to pick up as well. I think in their last three league games, uh, they obviously beat Man City, didn't they? Um, which was a big result. And then they drew with Villa and then they had a good win at Bournemouth. They host Newcastle, who obviously got Champions League in their system from the week. Um, I'll make an early prediction there. I think Wolves might win at home against Newcastle. Tomo? Nah. Nah. We, we were talking, Laura, you were talking earlier, weren't you, about obviously the similarities between United and Newcastle season. But if but if you listen to these stats, so in the Premier League this season, Newcastle have scored the most goals. They've got the highest XG, the highest shot conversion rate. They've made the most big chances and they've... Um, got the highest big chance conversion rate so they're an exciting team to watch um they're free-flowing like good going forward Callum Wilson's going to come back into the team now he's um averaging a goal every 66 minutes in the Premier League this season so I'd back him to get a goal um Wolves they're a bit up and down I just think that Gary O'Neill put a lot of his eggs in that Bournemouth game last year, in, in that basket last week. And um, that's a massive result. And they're just inconsistent. So I just fancy Newcastle. They've obviously come in a, coming away from the disappointing result against Dortmund, albeit I thought it was a half-decent second-half performance from them. Um, I just think Newcastle, they're like a top-four club for me now. And I think they go there and win. Yeah, I, I wasn't drawing comparisons between Man United and Newcastle. I was trying to offer some perspective in the fact that <laughs> Newcastle are the media darlings but and Man United the opposite, but there's only one point between them. I did then go on to balance that by saying there's a 17-goal swing in the goal difference and Newcastle were blowing teams away, which they did last week against Crystal Palace. We'll remember a game that they did it against Villa, but I do agree with you that they'll be too strong for Wolves. And I like Wolves. Um, and I liked what Gary O'Neill said the other night. The only thing I would say about that Gary O'Neill clip, just on reflection, just to play devil's advocate, it was, I don't know if it's a little bit naive um, going that in depth on Monday Night Football where it's going to go to everyone in the country about what they work on for two weeks in training. 
if you've been working on that, quite an important area of the pitch, sort of shuffling it from defence to attack, and you've been working on that for two weeks, it did well against Bournemouth, and you've just highlighted it and shown what all that work you've done behind closed doors has been like. Is that not a little bit, um, you know, feeding the devil type thing? Yeah, I think... However... Oh, go on. Go on. I was, I was just going to say, maybe he's a genius and he doesn't think any of that and he's just spoon-feeding that into the opposition and he, he's going to do something completely different. But I just, I thought he was very, very impressive in the way he came across and the way he spoke. And I like good talkers. I thought he was quite captivating. I thought if I was a player, yeah, I'd buy into what you're saying. You sound very believable. You sound knowledgeable. You sound like you know what you're talking about. But on the flip side of that, he's very, very excited after a Bournemouth win, a win away at Bournemouth. Yeah. And he's gone on Monday Night Football and he said, yeah, look what I've just done for the last two weeks. It resulted in this. But now what about next week when you play Newcastle when Eddie Howe doesn't let the double pivot split and break the team apart in that in that sense? So yeah. let's see if he's got a plan B. I fancy Newcastle. Yeah, it's it's fantastic insight for the likes of us, isn't it? Because yeah. that's, that's what you pay your Sky subscription for, that kind of thing. But if I was like the Wolves chairman or or a Wolves fan, I wouldn't really... Obviously, it's great insight, but I wouldn't be, like, cheering that kind of vibe. It's like you're almost too open and you're setting, yeah. you're setting yourself up for a fall. And if they go and get spun 3-0 here, your fans start going, well, where are you on Monday Night Football this week? Do you know what I mean? It's like, it was a bit self-indulgent for me, even though I did think it was great insight. Do you, do you think managers of Prem sides mid-season, regardless of when, if they've played at the weekend or anything like that, should be going on and doing insight like that on Monday night football at all. Like it, there seems to be a cutoff, doesn't there, of like a side like a a Brentford or a Wolves, not to group those two sides together, but you can't picture like Klopp on Monday night football or Guardiola on Monday night football or, you know, Ange or something like that. You know, like going in and offering insight mid season of their team and their tactics and what they're doing. It just I'm I, as you say, great insight for people who pay their Sky subscription, but just feels a bit odd, doesn't it? Having a Premier League gaffer on talking through his side and their tactics in a season show. Do, do you know what I thought it was? It was a bit like him almost auditioning for his next job. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I think what what Merv just said is you wouldn't see a, a Klopp or like a Pep Guardiola do that in a million years. Like there is like a self-serving element to it, isn't there? where like they're presenting to the whole of the country, look, this is what I can do. This is what I know. Look how well I speak. Look how well I set the teams up. Look at my tactics. If ever I get sacked at Wolves, just remember I did this and I can I can speak like that and I can do these tactics. So, yeah, there's definitely an element of that to it. I remember Eddie Howell did it as well back in the Bournemouth days when he, not to group them together again, but normally when there's a team outside of the top eight that are doing well, that's the sort of manager that will go on and speak with Cara and Neville, whoever, on the Monday Night Football you're not going to get Pep on there giving away all his secrets, are you? And maybe that says something. You get you get people as well, don't you, who uh, who are ready to go back into work. Come on it, don't they? I remember, I think it was Mourinho was under pressure at United and Poch went and did a Monday night football and said he was looking forward to being back into football. I think Lampard's done it as well and Gerrard's done it. It's almost like unemployed managers have a look at it as well. Yeah, you've just reminded me of something actually, which made me cringe a little bit. On um, who did Villa play at the weekend? Was it on Sunday? West Ham. Um, they beat West Ham, didn't they? Smashed them. And but Dean Smith was there. He was on the punditry team. And uh, after the game, they called Ollie Watkins over, and it was a little bit weird because obviously Dean Smith signed Ollie Watkins, I think, for Brentford and then for Villa. 
and Dean Smith was on his like probably auditioning for his next footballing job. And he was like, yeah, <laughs> something came up and he was like, yeah, yeah, Ollie, tell him about the fish story. And Ollie Watkins was a little bit awkward. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, Gaffer got me to buy a... uh, They don't want to hear about this, but God, Gaffer bought, got me to buy a fish and it died. And Dean Smith was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I was trying to do is I was, I was trying to instill that responsibility in a young man to know that when he's going out on a football pitch on a, on a Saturday or Sunday, he's got the responsibility of the Villa fans on him. And that goldfish was significant. And that was the representative of it. Do you see what I mean? And I think the presenter was just like, yeah, but the fish died. So all you've done, Dean, is kill a goldfish. <laughs> but congratulations to Unai Emery on getting the best out of Ollie Watkins because he's a different player now than he was under Dean Smith. And commiserations, yeah. Dean Smith. I'm sure you'll get another job. I'm not sure be in the Premier League. I feel it's a bit Graham Wesley getting bloody Lee Trundle to get on all fours and pretend to be an elephant to me. But yeah, nice one, Dean. <laughs> um, guys, just to wrap up the rest of the uh, Premier League action. So we've got the uh, European sides in action tonight, Thursday. But Liverpool host Forest. They're looking ominously good now, Liverpool. We said about a sneaky good start, didn't we? They've just blown, the, blown that into a full-thrown good start now. Um, they'll be looking for three points there. West Ham host Everton, uh, Villa host Luton, sorry. Um, and then there's another game which I just quickly want to touch on, boys, which is Bournemouth versus Burnley. Doesn't look the most appetising of fixtures, um, but I think an important game for both managers. And it could be, uh, Tomo, I think you coined it, El Sakiko before we came on, which is if either of those managers don't pick up a win, they might be uh, might be gone. Yeah. I don't actually think company's in danger because I, I think yeah. Burnley, um, the, I'd like to think the hierarchy at Burnley are well aware of their situation. The turnover of players they had over in the summer was a joke. And let's be honest, company is going to be the best that they could get. Um, and he's almost proved that even if they do get relegated, he's the best one to bring you back up. So, um, yeah, that, that one... That he'll be fine. That our Iriola guy looks like there's yeah, it looks like the typical the players were happy with Gary O'Neill, um, happy with how things are going. And obviously Gary O'Neill's proved proved at Wolves now that he's he's like a good Premier League manager as opposed to just an interim or uh, or sort of an assistant manager as he was to Scott Parker. Um and the players just don't seem to be buying into it or it's it's hard to tell, but Bournemouth just look a little bit toothless, don't they? And um, they like they at the start of the season they looked decent, played okay, but like coming away with defeats. Um, yeah, that one's a tough one to call. I, I actually just think that would be a draw, and and potentially he, he's he's um, his job safe for another week. Yeah, I don't I I don't think the Bournemouth manager's job's going to be safe with a draw. Um... They, I think they're shocking and been an absolute myth. And I, you know, I don't think he deserved to get that job over Gary O'Neill. I understand the points at the time why they did it, but I think if you swap their names around and gave Gary O'Neill Androni Iriola as his name, he'd still be the manager. But Burnley is an interesting one. You're right, they're not going to sack company. He did too well last season. He's probably got a season's worth of credit in the bank. But you think about the player turnover, you mentioned it, Tomo, that some of their best players last year were their loanees. So uh, Nathan Teller was the top scorer. Um, Taylor Harwood Bellis was a beast for them at the back. Um, Ian Matson was very, very good at left back. And, you know, uh, well, 
all over the place on both wings for them last season. They've lost them. They haven't replaced them particularly well by the looks of things. And a lot of their key players from last year aren't getting in the team this year. Josh Brownhill can't get a game. Um, Zorori can't get a game. Ian Matson can't get a game. So there's a massive turnover in the starting eleven. So it's really, really difficult to um, see how he's going to be able to correct that in time to go on a good enough run to keep Burnley up this season now. Before this is probably the biggest shock to me of the season because I thought they would I thought they were going to be that team that come out of the pack and and maybe challenge like the top half of the table as one normally does from promotion. But they're going to do very well to avoid relegation this season, albeit I think company will be safe unless it gets atrociously bad and they don't win another game all year. You know what that Ian Matson would do well getting a game for Burnley considering he's at Chelsea now. But um the only thing I will say about Burnley... Sorry, um, Benson. Manuel Benson's what I meant. Ian ah. Matson, I mentioned in my loan bit just before, mate, who <laughs> isn't there this season, but was very good last season. Right, OK. Yeah, sorry to pick you up on that. But yeah, but the only thing I will say about Burnley... No, I'll find you. I'll find you. <laughs> is that there are some terrible teams in the league this year. Bournemouth being one of them. Sheffield United being another. Luton don't look great, although, albeit they have they have looked OK in the last couple of weeks. Terrible. Yeah, if Burnley if Burnley beat Bournemouth, like they're sort of three four points above the relegation zone, it's like okay, they're like even though they've had a terrible start to the season, they're they're safe. So they're only a win like a win away really, or a couple wins on the bounce away. Um, albeit they did look terrible against Brentford, didn't they? Like they they looked terrible. Did you do the Craig Bellamy um, overlap podcast where he basically said that? The thing that they're not good at this year that they were brilliant at last year was off the ball work. So they're not compact enough. So, and I think that that's basically due to the fact that they're playing with sort of six or seven new players every single week, and they're not quite there yet under company. But I think it will it will click for them, and they will eventually um, go on a run of fixtures. And I think I still think that they'll they'll have enough to stay up. But Burnley's losses this year, right? So started against Man City, lost. Start, uh, then had Villa, lost, who both sides that are doing really well. Uh, lost against Tottenham, Tottenham top of the league. Lost against Man United. United not made the best start, but obviously still a big side. Uh, lost against Newcastle, lost against Chelsea, and then obviously against Brentford. But the games that haven't been against sides that you'd maybe call big teams, uh, beat Luton, drawn with Forest within that so they must have a little run of fixtures coming now uh Burnley which isn't against you recognize top sides and I think you say company probably will have a bit more time um yeah looking at it they've got Bournemouth then they've got Palace they've got West Ham Sheffield United Wolves all within their next kind of set of fixtures so they might turn that around Burnley I, I wouldn't write um company off or them in the prem off yet yeah fair point fair point <laughs> Uh, and then, guys, sorry, the, the uh, other game that I hadn't touched on uh, was Brighton versus Fulham was the other fixture in the Prem. No, uh, we, no, I know. We will move on to the EFL. Lauro, going to come to you to discuss uh, Leeds. So looking ahead, uh, I think Yorkshire Derby against Huddersfield at the weekend. But if you can also just touch on the midweek loss versus Stoke as well. Yeah, and I don't want to see anyone lose their job. Um, and we'll come on to Patrick Bamford later but look, we, we weren't very good last night from start to finish 
Um, Stoke had the better of the first half, and we even in the second half where we grew into it, we were quite sloppy and didn't play the conditions very well, and we weren't our usual selves. We, uh, we were forced into a couple of changes. We had a great result against Norwich last week, coming from 2-0 down to win 3-2. Somerville scored two, but we had to bench him last night because apparently he's on painkillers and can't play three games in a week. So that was disappointing, but we still started Wilfred Nonto one side and Jaden Anthony the other, who were two very esteemed champ. Well, Wilfred Nonto is Italian international, and, and Anthony's had good success with Bournemouth in the past. Um, but anyway, we, we, we sort of grew into the game, and we probably had the best of the second half up until about the 85th minute where we were awarded a penalty, which, to give him his due, Patrick Bamford won. But why on earth he stepping up to take that penalty when... He he hasn't played regular football for three years. Every single penalty I've ever seen him take, he's missed. All the pressure in the world to score that pen in the 85th minute and grab the three points. And we're giving it to him. Like He's done some wonderful things for our football club, particularly that first year in the Premier League where he got 17 league goals and was fantastic. But he hasn't been that same player for a long time now. And I think it's absolutely crazy. As soon as I saw he's taking the penalty, I thought to myself, Leeds have got a penalty, so that means Stoke have won the game. Because we were always going to miss it, and the momentum was always going to change. And you know what? It's like the Britannia or the Bet365, whatever it's called now, was just going to turn into an absolute cauldron for Stoke, and the ball was going to get sucked in at the other end. Patrick Bamford blazes the penalty, 60 feet over the bar, got under it, then back. What happens? They go up the other end, get a corner, and we score an own goal. And it lets my acker down for 650 quid. So, all in all, a really bad night. Leicester won again and have just, you know, sort of seemed to be defying all football logic and physics and um, stats from the past, which is just making the championship a really boring league for me. And I'm rapidly falling out of love with the game. Right, a little bit of positivity, Lauro. You're, you're going to play Huddersfield at home and you're going to absolutely batter them. Um, I agree. I agree. We'll batter them. I don't have any reservations about... Do you know what? Ipswich keep winning, though. You know, I'm waiting for them to slip up, and we're the only team still that have beaten them this season. They're almost toe-to-toe with Leicester other than that loss um, to us. So, normally, the championship is difficult because there's so many different teams of a similar level. This year, it's difficult because it seems like there's, like, three, maybe four teams that are really, really good, and obviously only two of them can go up automatically. But it's early. I don't, you know... Don't get too high with the highs and low with the lows. Um, I am an optimist with Leeds. I think we've had a great season so far. Impressed with a lot of the work the management have done, but that really, really pissed me off last night. Yeah, Leicester now 14 points clear of Leeds and Ipswich are nine and do have a game in hand as well. So I think we touched on a couple of previous pods, didn't we? That it's still early days in the championship, but do need to just keep the momentum going and keep on their coattails because those two sides just don't seem to lose a game so just qu- quickly though on Leicester on, uh, on Leicester th- I just think them doing so well this season is just a sign of how shockingly bad they did last year because they've got such a good squad they've got a Premier League yeah. squad and even though they've they've sold their best player in Madison and, and obviously lost one or two others I'm sorry they've um they've got a great squad they've just got a Premier League squad and it's and it's showing and they've no, like no matter who they bring in, like they'll be fine. And it even like like the championships is a massive sort of momentum league, and and I feel like even in their bad games they'll win one nil. Do you know what I mean? Or even in their 
sort of momentum losing games potentially they'll they'll win or get a draw against Leeds or something they'll play Leeds in um next Friday I think it is and that'll be a good game I'm lo- looking forward to that one um That's but game. yeah great game but yeah it, it's it's just for me it's just a sign of how bad they were last year and how yeah but it's very very rare that a team comes down that was that good but also that keeps their players it was like the other day, I was watching the highlights and it was like, Ineacho's got four and four. And you think, well, yeah, it's Kalecci Ineacho and he's playing at Hull. Or at Hull, actually, the only team to beat in this season. But they seem to, like the, I remember the transfer window was going on and on and on. Okay, they lost Madison and Barnes. But you're thinking, when are these players going to leave? Why have they still got Vardy and Ineacho? And I think Patson Dacker's even still there. Why is James Justin still there? He was playing for England the other day and now he's right back in the championship. So... And in, and in said they've, got, they've, they've got Ndidi. Yeah, Wilfred Ndidi, yeah, and who they use sparingly. I mean, like you said, Murph, there's a 14-point gap, which I don't think is irreversible at this stage of the season normally. But Leicester are looking more and more like an anomaly, and we're going to need them to, you know, shit to really hit the fan for them, for there to be any chance of anyone coming back. And I, I don't really see that happening now. So, no. um it's difficult for the rest of the league, but that it's, it's all about Ipswich, really. They need to they need to stop winning, hopefully the, soon. The other thing with Leicester, just touching on who they uh, kept, completely agree. But I think they added that Sasadi from Chelsea, the young lad in midfield who seems to be playing well. Harry Winks came in, who's unbelievable. Connor Cody is there, albeit was on the bench um, at the weekend, but we obviously know that he gets in England squads just because he's a leader. Mark Albrighton's still there. He came off the bench. Hamza Chowdhury off the bench. Jamie Vardy off the bench. They're unbelievable. Yes, yeah, And they signed a player called Mavadidi. Um, oh, yeah. Who, uh, again, uh, they, I'm not saying they're, it's luck because it's obviously good recruitment, but he's English. Um, and I don't know if I said this before. He's, he holds the cap, the record caps in the French league. Like I'd never even heard of him. Leicester have brought him over. He's been phenomenal for them as well. So like all of those ingredients are just sort of culminating in a cauldron of excellence, aren't they? At the moment, and we're going to need yeah something to go drastically wrong really for them to be anywhere off the top spot. And just in a word, do you see things starting to go wrong away at QPR at the weekend? No. <laughs> No, me either. Yeah, I mean, just on QPR, he, Gareth Ainsworth, who is a really likable guy and did brilliant things at Wickham and had them overachieving for a long time. That's, I mean, I don't want to say he's doing a horrible job, but I mean, I, I, I look every single week now, I look for QPR's Twitter after the game because I know they've lost to look at the interview that he does after the game and he says some really bizarre things and really quite doesn't conduct himself in the way that you expect managers to after the game. It's like he's not media trained or something. He just says some really odd things. Like you'd have seen the video of him getting the hacker guy to come in and like dance in front of all the players and all, all these sorts of things. It's all right last season where he was like, it was a, someone else's group of players, but he's had the summer and they've started the year uh, season this season. They're second bottom only to only above Sheffield Wednesday, who are even horribler. <laughs> and it, within that interview, he said, yeah, I don't want these players to give up on their dreams of keeping QPR as a championship club. And the fans are just in the comments going, why is it a dream for us to be in the championship? I don't remember the last time we were below the... Cha- Lo- loads of people in QPR's lifetimes haven't been below the championship. They've been a Premier League or championship club the whole time. And it's like Ainsworth's come in and not read the memo that in the championship, really every single team 
other than maybe one or two smaller clubs that get there every now and again. They're looking for the playoffs. We're not looking to keep QPR up. And even if that was the goal, he's about six points off safety already. So that is disastrous at Loftus Road at the moment. And I think they'll probably be looking for their new manager now and maybe announce after their 11-0 loss to Leicester at the weekend. I would have sacked him um, as soon as he brought in those uh, New Zealand hacker people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those kind of quirky things you see, don't you? And it's and it's all well and good when you're winning games. But if you're losing games or you're like a new manager into a new group and you're bringing in that and like you just saw the players looking awkwardly at like, what is this manager doing? Like who? Like he's not really got the vibe or the the team dynamics at all, and he's just completely missed missed the boat really with that one. And actually, he's a <laughs> that was an error in judgment, wasn't it? I yeah, mean, he... we can all agree that the New Zealand dancers were a nice idea. <laughs> Gareth's misread the room. We... Yeah, but he's a quirky bloke, isn't he? Like with with his leather jackets and stuff, and and it worked yeah. well at Wickham because they were like the perennial underdogs, but you go to a big club like QPR and like you say, they've been a Premier League, they've been a Premier League team in the recent history. I know they've got their financial issues, but yeah, yeah, not for me. They're, they're, they're going down. They are going down. And I think that if you're a manager like that, who comes in from League One and you sort of step up to a championship side or a, a bigger club, like the players are going to be looking for, you know, what's this guy about them? What makes him sort of special? So for them to be called into a room and have someone from New Zealand come out and stick their tongue out at them, they must have just thought, oh, good Lord. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wish Gareth all the best uh, in future endeavours because um, after the weekend, I think he's going to be jobless. Um, just a couple of other championship games. So touched on Ipswich doing really well. Um, they host Plymouth. Obviously, they they keep on winning, so they'll be looking to continue that. Um, Tomo, just want to touch on Middlesbrough as well, uh, host Stoke. So I think it was first six games, couldn't get a win. Uh, Michael Carrick and been unbeaten since, but really looks like he's turning it around there and they're starting to climb up through the table. Yeah, six in a row now in the league. Um that's it just makes sort of it it pays dividends to back your manager and obviously he had a great year last year didn't he and um struggled i think lost five and drew two of the first seven this season now they've gone six in a row and they're um level on points with the playoffs and look basically look like a banker to make make the playoffs um a, a winnable game against Stoke on the weekend you fully expect them to win um, and then Plymouth next in the league. Um, yeah, you just can't see them um, not getting a result. They obviously beat Wayne Rooney's Birmingham um, last weekend, um, 1-0. And if we touch on them quickly, they lost uh, 2-0 at home to Hull last night. And uh, the players got booed off the pitch. Um, one of the fans said to Rooney, why don't you fuck off back to America? And um, Rooney, after the game, said that he thought his players gave up in the final 10 minutes, which says a lot about that. And he basically said, that won't happen again. And I'm just thinking, well, the players clearly were having John Eustace and backed him fully. And they've just seen this big name manager come in. And I know it's early doors and I know probably <clears throat> shouldn't jump to conclusions, but we spoke in the last pod, didn't we, about that being a bit of a poison chalice. And it seems to be going that way. They play, is it Southampton? They play away from home? Yeah, and that's actually our Pyramid Pod Cup game uh, this weekend. So that's on similar to Leeds v Huddersfield. 
the early kickoff at half 12. So, yeah, they go to Southampton. Um, Southampton drew two all with Preston, scored right in the last minute. I think their keeper kind of flicked it on and it hit a defender and went in for a uh, own goal. But, yeah, Southampton are in fifth and Birmingham, Birmingham in 12th. Um, so, you know, with the way that Birmingham have started, it looks like Southampton would uh, would be favourites for that, given the league positions. But much like the championship always is, if Birmingham were to go and win that game away at Southampton, they would leapfrog Southampton and go into fifth place from 12th. So doesn't necessarily mean Southampton are an absolute banker. But uh, yeah, Birmingham, Birmingham have obviously made a bad start under Rooney. But yeah, Pyramid Pod Cup game, that one. Uh, if you have can't remember or haven't seen the rules for that one, I would invite you to go and watch our last episode titled Mooney Rooney. Um, <laughs> we run through it and we did predict that this would be the start of Wayne's tenure. But uh, yeah, we'll run through the Pyramid Pod uh, Cup rules on that one if you haven't heard them already. Uh, Laurie, just on that game and on Rooney, Southampton, Birmingham, do you see anything for Birmingham there or Saints win? No, yeah, Saints win. I just think they've everything we've said and what everyone felt about that Birmingham appointment and switch manager and the timing of it and the release of John Eustace, it was always going to culminate in this. They're getting booed. They were sixth two games ago when John Eustace was there in the playoffs, Birmingham. They've never been anywhere near that in the last five, six, seven years. Do you know what I mean? All of a sudden, they're getting booed off two games later. So it was just shocking timing. Um, from the powers that be at Birmingham. And you just can't help but feel it's the Americans upstairs going, Rooney, instead of actually thinking through, you know, football decisions. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. sort of like, oh, he's a big name. Everyone would be like, wow, Rooney. So, no, he's actually, he managed Derby in the Championship a few years ago, and they probably didn't even know that. So, despicable. And just just a touch on... Uh, Michael Carrick at Borough as well. He said that it pays to back the manager. He's shown what a great manager he is because he lost all of his best players in the summer. And okay, they started poorly. But that, you know, you need time to coach the new players and coach the new team that you're going out with this season. If that means having a bit of a hanging start, so be it, as long as you get the back in from, uh, from top. So I think it's Gibson, still the chairman at Middlesbrough. Well done for sticking by Carrick. And well done, Carrick, because to win six in a row in any league's good, but in the championship is fantastic particularly off the back of a really dreadful start so I agree they're looking a good bet for the playoffs I think he's got the temperament Michael Carrick I know he had a couple of games in charge of United didn't he as caretaker um uh, at one of the seasons um before he left the club but he looks like he's got the temperament to be like a top top manager doesn't he like uh, a real real yeah. like top manager it wouldn't surprise me if he's a United manager of the future S similar to Kieran McKenna I think both sort of calm, measured guys, aren't they? And ironically, both out of Man United, who are, in my opinion, the worst run football club in England, coaching-wise. Yeah, and both, and both got absolutely slated in their time as assistant managers to Ole. So, funny how that works. But and, and look, at the end of the day, six weeks ago or six games ago, we were talking about Michael Carrick going, Caw, he's got to do something there quickly because it was looking... It was looking bad, wasn't it? And everyone's going, oh, look, like Carrot, Carrot's not the flavour of the month now. So, look. No, 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 no. I think we did point out, to be fair to us on this podcast, that they'd lost Archer, they'd lost um, Chubber Akpom that had gone, and they'd replaced him with, at the time, a striker called Latty Lat, who I'd never heard of. Um, 
And I wouldn't be surprised if you hadn't either, T-Girl, on the same <laughs> token. So I think we did. Well, I think we were quite measured with our analysis of Michael Carrick's start to the season. But of course, in any job in football, we always say it, you don't get time um, to turn things around often. But they've given him it here and six wins, paying dividends. Yeah, I uh, as I say, I think he'll be a, a top, top manager and he'll be in the Premier League very soon. And Middlesbrough fans will be hoping it's with them next season. Boys, move on to League One quickly. So fixtures looking ahead. So uh, 23rd place Reading uh, hosts first place Portsmouth. So I think we all know what the result's going to be there. Um, second place Oxford host Wickham. Barnsley uh, in third place um, host Fleetwood. And then a decent looking game actually and I know we always have a chat with him about him but Stevenage versus Derby um, I think it's sixth feet seventh in the league that game but uh, there's been a bit of Tomo I think a bit of fan unrest at uh, Derby with their style of play and looks like Paul Warren under a bit of pressure there yeah he is they they won in the week 2-0 to alleviate a bit of that pressure but I saw a picture of him the day um the day he got the job at Derby and he looked a million dollars, looked like fresh faced, like ready for the challenge. And then I saw a picture of him at the end of last week, last weekend when they lost and he was in a woolly hat and he looked like he looked like he hadn't eaten in about two weeks. And he, he looked absolutely knackered, not slept in ages. And clearly he's under pressure. And I actually think it's only a matter of time. Um, unless he can string like like a Michael Carrick, unless he can string four or five wins together, I think the Derby hierarchy will be um, looking to change. Although he did sign a three year contract, didn't he? And I don't know Derby's financial situation at the minute, but can they afford to pay off um, a manager? I think he's got eight, so they'll have eighteen months left, or maybe even two years left. In which case. That's the best part of like two million pound, probably. So, be the be interesting one to keep an eye on. But um, look, they won two nil in a week, so the pressure's alleviated a little bit. And Paul Warren's won League One twice before with Rotherham, so he, you know, we know he's a good manager and can do it. And quite similar, actually, to the Middlesbrough one, they haven't really freshened. They lost David McGoldrick in the summer. Ironically, gone down a division, but obviously wanted to go back to Notts County, where it all began for him. But that was twenty plus goals last season, and they haven't replaced him. They've got a very um, similar team to what they, I feel like, they've had for a few years now, and they really didn't freshen it up. So maybe they want to give him January to bring some players in as well. But if they can just keep in and around the playoffs and sort of gradually build into the season, I, I wouldn't be looking to get rid of Paul Warren if I was the Derby um, hierarchy at the moment, I don't think. Who, who's out there that's going to be better than him with a better pedigree to get out of League One than someone that's won it twice with Rotherham? Yeah, keep the faith for Paul. He'll get you there, Derby. Um, and then just a special mention um, for Cheltenham as well. So at the weekend, they actually won their first uh, league game of the season versus Cambridge. And in midweek, they did lose at Blackpool in sixth place, but they scored two goals in a 3-2 loss. So hopefully a bit of a turnaround there for Cheltenham. And they go to Port Vale um, at the weekend where they'll be looking to try and uh, gain a little bit more momentum. Boys, we move on to League Two briefly. And Tomo, a really nice looking game. Uh, to start with, Knox County versus Wrexham, the two sides who came up from the uh, National League in that great season last season, both scoring goals um, so far in League Two, both up there in the table. So probably a goal fest and a great game coming. Yeah, 
I completely agree. I'd probably edge um, Notts County just for the just for the fact that they're at home. Um, but yeah, Wrexham got a win in the in the week. I think Notts County lost, didn't they? Um, did they lose? Yeah, and Mullen scored. He's backfiring like properly fit now, like match fit. If you know what I mean. Um, I I love that league. I don't know why. I just think there's so like there's so many weird results and loads of goals and and with that game there, you wouldn't I wouldn't put it past Notts County to win four three five four. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, that's that's a really um good fixture to look forward to. But yeah, I'm just edging edging Notts County just for the simple fact they're at home. And Notts County thumped Newport three 0 in the week. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I I would like Wrexham to win that game. Um, so I don't know what it is, but something a little bit special going on on Wrexham in, in recent years. And Notts County fans aren't happy. They all want change. Um, so they're only second in the league. Um, 30 points, two points a game. Came up last season. They all want change. They're, they're not happy with it. So hopefully they'll lose to Wrexham and that will get them a little bit closer to change. Well, we say all Notts County fans. I think this is a... Uh particular social media influencer for Notts County who wants change. Uh, I think that maybe he's uh, only started watching football in the last couple of years and not known Notts County to ever lose a game. Um, Tomo, I think you're yeah. thinking back to a couple of weeks ago where they lost 4-1 at home to Notts County and there were yeah, certain people within the football community who are uh, Notts County fans calling for change. They've since gone and won at Gillingham who were up there and smashed Newport. So Hopefully that's alleviated a little bit of the pressure on the manager who took them up on record points for the club uh, last <laughs> year and then that was sat second in League Two, two points off top. Um, but yeah, hopefully a little bit of uh, rest for him from that. Uh, intriguing game that I think that will be absolute goals um, and that that's like the sort of game where it will be a four three or a three or a five four. So um, yeah, I'll I'll be very much looking forward to watching that on the highlight show. Um, just a couple other games, boys. So Stockport, who are top of the league versus Tranmere, talk about them every week uh, since we've last spoke. They've gone and won 3-2 at home to Grimsby and then won away at Crewe uh, 2-0, which is no mean feat because they're in fifth themselves, Crew Absolutely fly in. Doesn't look like it's going to stop. I'm just having a look here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine wins in a row, 11 since they were last beaten. So I mean, they must be looking at looking like an absolute sound bet to go up automatically, um, unless something drastic happens there. But yeah, they'll be uh, looking to continue that at home to Tranmere, and then Mansfield, who we just touched on, who beat uh, Notts County quite recently, four one. They're at home to uh, Warsaw. They've actually gone back to back four one wins there, uh, away wins away at Harrogate and away at Notts County. So yeah, they'll be looking to continue that against Warsaw. So, yeah, League Two, great league. Um, from a Acker point of view that Laura and I had on at the start of the season, it'd be really nice for Gillingham to start to turn their form back around. They did win away at Swindon in the week 1-0 um, and they host Newport this weekend. So, yeah, hopefully their form can pick back up. Uh, but, yeah, great league. Boys, uh, running out of time, but we'll wrap up with the treble. Uh, Tomo, I'll come to you first. Have we spoken about the team today that's in your pick for the treble? Uh Portsmouth, yeah. They're gonna beat um they're gonna beat Reading and they're top they're top of League One. Um I think the odds are 19 to 20, so not that bad to be honest. Um and yeah, just Portsmouth are just gonna win. 
Portsmouth are nearly evens away at 23rd place Reading. Yeah, so I just think they'll go there, win. And I'm at the end of the day, I think I'm letting the team down here when it comes to the trebles and potentially the whole podcast. But um, that's, another, that's another conversation. Um, yeah, so I'm just trying to go for bankers to just uh, so that for me, Portsmouth, top of League One, Reading, terrible, albeit they've got a couple, they've had a couple of um, points deductions. So that probably skews their league position slightly. Um, and that probably is why the odds are a little bit like that. But yeah, I just think Portsmouth will win. Yeah, if, if Reading's four-point deduction for the financial problems wasn't in place, they'd go from 23rd place to 23rd. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, that's probably what they're blaming it on. I think that's an unbelievable selection. I, I think those odds are absolutely crazy. So, yeah, love that. Uh, Lauro? Um, obviously, I... I'm privy to what you two have picked, and they were quite uh, modest odds. So I've gone a little bit out there, but it shouldn't be. I've gone Derby to beat Stevenage at nearly two to one. I know Stevenage are a good side, but I'm back in the Rams and uh, their saviour, Paul Warren, to go and get three points and hopefully be part of our first Pyramid podcast winning treble. That's seventh, yes. seventh versus eighth. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Good odds as well, though. Derby at two to one against any side in that league. I like the look of. So love that. And then uh, my selection is going to be Sunderland at home to Norwich. Again, they're above evens at 21 to 20. Um, I know that Sunderland uh, lost to Leicester uh, in midweek, but I think they're a decent side. They're at home. Um, place will be rocking there um, against Norwich, who have lost three out of their last four and that that one was a draw the one that they didn't uh, lose against Coventry so they're bang out of form Sunderland form's not been great either but I give them home advantage there and uh, fancy them at 21 to 20 so just quickly pricing that up chaps uh, on Skybet obviously other bookmakers are available um, that treble there is 9.99 to 1 so just just under 10 to 1. So £10 on that returns £109.93. So, yeah, get that on. Hopefully get some uh, winnings into the Pyramid Pod treble and get some money over to charities. So just to replay, Sunderland at home to Norwich, Derby away at Stevenage and Portsmouth away at Reading. Chaps, that's all we've got time for. Just, quick, just quickly. Oh, go on, Tomo. For those who don't understand betting odds, um, so 10 to 1, <laughs> if you put £10 on that treble you will lose £10. Yeah, I think... Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was a, a long way around to get that pun in, Tigo. Just very quickly, Murph, before we do finish, and I know we're well, running um, out of time, um, but you did fo- you did promise our listeners at the start I'd just comment on the Yeobel's continuing winning run. Sorry, I forgot. There are thousands of listeners, so let's just quickly do that. Look, we've won nine in a row. We're going for ten on Saturday, and Hewish Park is a breast cancer awareness fundraiser type day on Saturday to go towards a new... Uh, and a breast cancer facility at Yoba Hospital, I think. So yeah. the team are playing in pink. Everything's pink. Get yourself down to Hewish Park on Saturday if you want to see the 10 women in a row Glovers march on. That is all we've got time for. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank and, you, Laura. No, 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 no. And quickly, on Tuesday, Yeovil um, set a record, a National South record for the, for the attendance. We had 6,297 fans in the ground, and I was one of them. And um, I think that's 
That is when you when you compare that to the Saudi Pro League, Jordan Henderson lost to Al Riyadh the other day in front of six hundred ninety six fans, um, which is which crazy. Of Southgate sees as perfect preparation for Euro twenty twenty four central midfielder. Yeah, so rather than pick Jordan Henderson, have Matt Worthington in there instead. Uh, boys, any more for any more? Pod that never fucking ends this one. <laughs> no. Great stuff. We'll wrap up there. We'll be back on Monday to review all the weekend action. Look ahead to midweek EFL Cup and EFL action. Thank you very much. Speak to you all soon. Cheers, boys. Take care. One.